Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. I hope you're feeling comfortable and ready for the word this morning. I hope you came expecting God to touch you and speak to you um, this morning. And so when I saw the greatest story ever sermon series, I was like, I was born for such a time as this. Stories are my thing. I love stories. I come alive with stories. And so I was super excited by this. So stories are really powerful, right? Uh, So for a moment, I want you to imagine looking at the Eiffel Tower. Have you imagined it? How many of you, your eyes raised in your head as you looked at the Eiffel Tower in your head? Did anybody do that? Okay, there's a couple of people with me. Praise the Lord. Um, Hold a spoon. Imagine you're holding a spoon. Take some um, lemon juice. I want you to squeeze the lemon juice onto the spoon and put that spoon in your mouth and take a nice swab of that lemon. Can you feel your jaws even tightening up as I talk about that, right? And so stories have this ability not only to be in our heads, but to manifest themselves physically as we share our stories. Have you ever read a story and you become really emotional, either angry or sad or cry? And I know that there are a number of people that when they read stories, they get hooked into these stories and they'll, they'll lose all track of time as they get engaged in these stories. Research shows that stories are one way of changing behavior. Uh, Jesus used stories all over the place. And research also shows that when I listen to somebody else's stories, hormone levels begin to rise in me as I listen to somebody else's story. And maybe that's why listening is a good thing in marriage, that those hormone levels to rise as we listen uh, to one another. So I've got a statement for you. As I read the statement, can you finish the sentence? Are you ready? You know, you came to church thinking you're just going to relax. Let's see. Once upon a? Great. They lived, ha- uh, and they lived? Romeo, Romeo. Oh, look at you. Did somebody propose to you? They felt like so that Romeo, Romeo touched somebody, hey? It was like, oh, if that could only happen to me. Um, so my Zulu is not great. I haven't made it to the heavens just yet, right? So there's a Zulu statement, and it goes something like, I'm going to say it in English. So, don't, so if you know the ending of it, let's see if, how well you know your Zulu statements or proverbs, right? And it goes like this. Um, Better to trust a stone than a moon to a person, right? Hey, where are we going? There we go, right? And why is this? And so this idea that you can leave a stone there, go away for three weeks, come back, that stone is exactly the same as it was. People, on the other hand, you turn around for one minute and they're in a bad mood. Like, oh, what happened to this person, right? David and? Um, for God so loved the world? Only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. As human beings, we are, we are shaped, story-shaped creatures. Everything about us is stories. We are born into stories. We are raised through stories. We live and die through stories. Um, to life's big questions, there's always a story. Who am I? Why am I here? What happens after death? Um, Stories enable us to unpack those things. And so stories live with us every single day. And it is your hope, and I hope and it's my hope, that we will live in the never-ending story once this life ends, right? And so the story is just everywhere and all around us. This 
the greatest story ever told is not limited by time. You know the stories we love, once upon a time, they always end the end, right? Um, and so the story that we tell, the greatest story ever, is the start of time. And remember when Chantal spoke to us uh, three weeks ago around that the, in the beginning <coughs> was God, right? And when I read my Bible, so I don't know if you've read it, but there's no the end. Like there's, it doesn't say the end. There's sort of a dot, dot, dot. And so the story is the true never-ending story. The greatest story ever told is not restricted to what only happens in this book. Now, this book is the foundation of our faith. It is our founding stories. But the greatest story ever told is still alive and well in this room. Right? And it's lived out in each and every one of us. God is living that story out in each and every one of us. The story that God made us, God loved us, and God is calling us is the foundation to every other story. Every other story has to match up to that story, right? And that, that the purpose of life is to be the character that we were created to be part of the greatest story ever. And so I was telling us last week that sin came in to interrupt us as characters in that greatest story ever and how we need to overcome those difficult challenges so that we can be the characters that God has intended us to be, right? And so the people of Israel, so, so one, the Bible is our founding stories, but the other interesting thing about this Bible, it is the method that the story gets passed from one generation to the next generation. And so stories are really, really important around how we pass our faith on so that it goes beyond just this generation that we're living in. And the people of Israel had an incredible knack for telling stories and remembering God's story, right? And so when they crossed the Jordan, what did they do after they crossed the Jordan? They would pile up a bunch of rocks. So every time you walk past those rocks, it is a prompt to say, this is what happened here. They would dig wells, and when you draw water from that well, what would you do? You would remember of what God did at that space. When they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, what were they doing while they were rebuilding the walls? They were reading scriptures to remind them of what was happening around them. And then you have the prophets that spoke about God's goodness in the past and propelling us to what is happening in the future. And so they had these memorials. And so this is a, a, battle st a stick from the Battle of Isandwana in, in, in Dundee, KZN. And uh, it's a memory for me. It's a prompt for me of God's goodness. And after the first service, uh, Zael came to me and said to me, so in Egypt, in Israel, as a shepherd, um, you would mark things that happened on your journey, on your stick. So if you uh, beat a lion, you would say, beat a lion, you would make a mark, yeah. And if you saved a lamb, you would save it, yeah. And so when you carried your stick around, it was a reminder of the things that God had done in your life and that you had accomplished. So it wasn't just a stick, it was a prompt. I'm hoping that you have prompts in your life about God's goodness so that when you're walking around your home, you can say, yes, God has done that. God has done this. Um, what strikes me, though, is that stories are never more than one generation away from extinction. Isn't that amazing? This scared me when I thought about it, that the greatest story ever told is just one generation away from becoming irrelevant. And this reminded me of my grandfather. Every December, we would go on holiday, we'd sit around the fire, and we would tell stories. And he would tell the same stories every year. And the very next day, I'd have to get into the car with my grandfather, and we would drive in the mountains of George in the eastern uh, Southern Cape, and he would point out this tree <coughs> and that bridge. And, 
And I didn't know what he was doing, but he was passing something on to me. He wasn't just telling stories. He was passing a legacy on to me. And had I had ears to hear. And so my family's history is really dependent upon me, whether I pass it on to my family, right? And so that begs the question, will we be the generation that this incredible story that God made us, God loves us and God is calling us, will end with us? Will it be forgotten because we don't become faithful carriers to the next generation? At worst, will it become irrelevant? That people don't feel that the story, the greatest story ever told, has relevance because we as a generation never followed it through. And so I want to put to you today three things that we can do to make the story become relevant. One, we need to make the story personal. Second, we need to understand that sin is dangerous business and that every temptation is an invitation. And so just like my grandfather would spend time sharing stories with us, Paul is sitting with the church of Corinth and he's telling them the story of the people of Israel. And it's a people that did not take God seriously. And it's a stark warning to the people of Israel, the people of the church of Corinth not to make the same mistakes that the people of Israel made. And so we need to make the story personal. And, it, and so when Paul is unpacking the story, he's really saying this is the relationship that God desires to have with you uh, today. And so let's see what Paul says in Corinthians 10 verses 1. He first talks about our ancestors were under a cloud. And so let me take one step back. Sorry, let me take one step back because I, I think this is important. When we hear the, the, the name, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, leaving Egypt, I don't know if you feel as robbed as I do by children's church literature, right? Because children's church literature says the people of Israel left Egypt. And it looks like a handful of friends, like 15 people. Oh, we go in, we're leaving, right? The Bible says there were 600,000 men. Right? And then extrapolate that a little bit. So in my mind, like, I was like, I need a community in my head to understand the brevity of this. Yeah. And so the community that came to my mind is Alexander Township. There's 700,000 people that live there. So I went 700,000 times two. Let's put it at 1.5 million people. Yeah. So whenever you hear people of Israel right now, I want you to have the number of 1.5 million people. Right? And so it's a big number. We just come out of the build conference and just logistics for 700 and 750 people was quite something. Now just imagine moving 1.5, the buses, the taxis, the logistics that is involved in moving 1.5 million people. And then just, just I wasn't going to share this, but just think about this, that at the time, as the Israelites were leaving, the Egyptians gave them gold and silver and kettles and I don't know what else. Can you imagine the people of e, uh, Santon sending EFTs and doing all that kind of stuff as people were now leaving, right? So this is just like, a, that was going on in my head. Like it's just an, it's a bizarre story, right? But it's a great story. And so as they leave, this massive cloud hovers over the people of Israel. And so it's there to protect them from the desert sun. And at night it is bright, but it wasn't about the protection more than as a sign to the people of Israel that God was with them. It was His presence was with them. And so that when they were going, having an argument with their partner, or they were just feeling bad that day, all they had to do was <clears throat> to look up and they would know that God's presence was with them. 
covering them. And so Paul is telling the church of Corinth that God's presence is with them. And as he's telling the church of Corinth, he's telling you and I that his presence is with us and it will follow us wherever we're going. And hopefully it's not that rainy cloud. You know those rainy clouds in the cartoons where the cartoon character walks and there's always raining on them. I hope that's not the kind of glory we're talking about in your life. So when you go to the boardroom tomorrow, are you walking in with God's presence? Is his cloud going in with you, right? And so this covering that God had. Uh, Paul then speaks to uh, them and says, they passed through the sea and they were baptized into Moses. And so what Paul is doing, he's drawing the analogy between the people of Israel and us church now, that they were a similar journey. We were on the same kind of journey. And so as they leave Egypt behind them and they walk through the Red Sea, it was as if they were leaving their old identity and stepping into this new identity, this new freedom that they would become people of Moses. They were baptized into Moses. And so when God separates the seas, it talks about his love and power. And like if you can just imagine, can you imagine 1.5 million people, it's not seven people that were walking through there, right? And and it's massive, right? And so as Christians, when we become Christians, we are baptized into Christ, leaving Egypt behind us. And we walk through this dry land. And as I was meditating on this word, I couldn't get away from this idea of these two pieces of water, death and sin that Jesus separated them through his death. And so when I go into baptism, I walk in that freedom of death and sin. And I walk into this freedom, right? And so there's this powerful analogy that Paul writes. And then he talks about that they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And so as the, the, they, they were provided for, so it talks about one, about God's miraculous provision. And we've got story after story in our congregation of God's miraculous provision coming through for families. Just recently, there was a family that was in dire straits, had no, no job, no nothing. Win competitions, get given cars, get given jobs, and God restoring. The very testimony we heard now is of this, profession, this, this amazing provision that God, and so God provided for the people of Israel as much as he provided for us, but it's not only physical provision, but it's also the spiritual provision, right? And so Paul is making this analogy that at the, as they ate that manna that Jesus provided or God provided, we can eat that spiritual food today. And so can you see the analogies that are driving through this? And then for me, it was this. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Jesus Christ. And so again, by Sunday school literature, I've always seen Moses, you know, he hits that, he hits that rock. He wasn't supposed to hit the rock, first of all. And he didn't just hit it. He hit it, right? And then that makes sense to me. Imagine all Moses' accomplishments that God has given him. And God says to him, speak. And he disobeys it. He's disobeying it as he sees. And so he strikes the rock. And it's not a little trickle that comes out. It's a river. Remember, there's a river that comes. And because he strikes the rock, their spiritual, um, their, their thirst was quenched. And as Jesus was struck on the cross, so too does that living water flow from that cross. And I think that's such a a powerful analogy of the work of Jesus on the cross. And I've never seen it that way before, for me at least. And so, isn't this amazing? What a privilege. Can you imagine if you were one of those 1.5 million people walking through the, the dry bed, water on the side, sky? Can you imagine? Yet... God was not pleased with them. Isn't that amazing? How many of you would just say, Lord, show me a sign? God shows signs and he's still displeased. Because why? 
because these people didn't take it personally. They were living off the benefit of other people's blessings. And so we come to church and God moves mightily in the service and God is blessing people and we walk out of that service saying God has moved really powerfully in this place. But He hasn't moved on you. You haven't fully experienced God's move because we are part of this thing. And so I've got, I don't know if it's good news or bad news this morning, but Paul says this, but, God, but, but most of them God was not well pleased with. And this is a God being very generous again in His Word, right? Because remember, it's 1.5 million. You know how many people God was pleased with in the adult population? Two. It was Joshua and Caleb. Those were the only two. And so I think this is a gross understatement, right? Around God was not pleased with most of them. Yeah, for sure. And why is that? It's because God does not save groups of people. God doesn't save nations. He saves individuals. And so God is interested in you as an individual this morning, sitting on your couch, sitting over here. It is your responsibility to answer the call. We can't answer the call on your behalf. All right? And when you stand in front of God at judgment seat, you're not going to be judged as a group and say, Oh, Lord, you moved mightily in the service. He's going to say, Did I move mightily in you? Right? And so your salvation is yours. And if we're going to be effective in making the greatest story ever told go to the next generation, we have to make it personal. Now, some, some people might be sitting there saying, Oh, that means I don't need to go to Connect Group. That means I don't need to be part of the body. No, it's not so. Because salvation is personal, but lived out in a community of faith, right? And so you've got to work on your salvation. You've got to work on yourself. But it's in the midst of community that it gets expressed, right? And so that's really important. The second thing, sin is dangerous business. This is something that the Lord has been working with me for the last three, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. I don't know. It just feels like every time God is working with this with me. How many... Uh, either online or sitting here, how many of you are sitting here saying, I long for the day that I can sell my child for drugs? Anybody? <laughs> but it happens today. There's somebody selling their child for drugs. Do you think they sat in a church service one day saying, I'm looking forward to the day that I can finally do that? Yeah. No. Is there anybody sitting here saying, I look forward to the day that I will lose my house because of this gambling problem I have? Is anybody sitting here saying, that is going to be the day I've made it, like I've reached my goal of gambling addiction? No, we don't do that, right? At your wedding day, did you, did you say at your wedding day, I'm looking forward to the day that I destroy this marriage, the day that I cheat on you. I'm looking forward to that day. Is that aspirational? But yet there are many people that are going through those very difficult conversations right now. They've destroyed their marriages. Or maybe you're sitting there saying, I'm really looking forward to the day that I can share dormitory with 20 other people for 20 years in prison. Is there anybody doing that? But sin has a way of getting us there. And it's only when we're there that we realize we were playing with danger over here. And so some of us are playing with danger. We're getting away with small nyana sins, you know? Getting away with it. Nobody caught me. We don't understand how dangerous it is. Because that woman that's selling her child for drugs today, that wasn't what she expected the day she started, right? Losing your house, isn't that? And so Andrew Gosman shares the story of a minister that comes into a building. And as he comes into the building, the evil one is sitting at the back. And as the minister's walking down the aisle, the evil one throws a hook in their back. They don't feel it. Continue to walk. Another hook. Another hook. By the time the minister gets you, 
there are several hooks in their back. As they get onto the stage, the evil one pulls the hooks. The person falls and is revealed. And so the evil one will reveal your sin when you have the most amount of influence and most amount of damage. Are you dealing with the sin in your life? We have to deal with it. Don't get away with it. Don't let it get away. And so in Japan, they have these things called tsunami stones. Dotted throughout Japan, they have these stones. They just look like weird little stones. But what it says on the stone is that do not build your homes beyond this point. High dwellings are peace and harmony uh, for our descendants. Remember the calamity of the great tsunamis. And so in 2011, 29,000 people were killed by tsunamis. Most of those people, those 29,000, you know where they built their homes? Beyond the point. They built their homes where the ancient warnings told them not to build their homes. And so we have a number of warnings in this body to say, don't build your life beyond the cross. Right? The storms will come. Did the storms affect the people on the high ground? Yes, they did. But they heeded the warning. And so maybe this is a warning for somebody today. Don't step over that line. And so what Paul is doing today, he's warning the church of Corinth not to step over that line, right? And there are four sins that he highlights in Corinthians 10. The first one is do not be idolaters. Yes. Now most of you sitting there saying, oh, praise the Lord, I can deal with that. I have no golden calves at home. I'm not bowing to anything. In fact, in my B&B room this week, it was fascinating. I was saying to Lareko, as I walked into the, into the house, on the one side, on the shelf, they had a cross and then they had a Buddha statue, and then they had this statue, and then they had feathers, and they had, I don't know if they had bones. They had all those wonderful stuff. I was like, oh, Lord, let me not go in this place, right? But I don't think you have those kind of things all over your home, right? And so you're saying, praise the Lord, let's, I can deal with idolatry. But the problem is, is that modern-day idolatry isn't statues. Yeah. It's anything that goes before the Lord, yeah. right? And so it could be our love for a particular sports team. That when they're playing, a church can take a second step because I need to follow this team, right? Um, it could become living your best life. And so living my best life means that I'm going to do this. I will pursue it at all costs. And so pursuing that best life becomes the idol in our lives, right? Idols can become our work. How many of us have sacrificed our families on the altar of hard work? And how difficult it is for us not to work. I've seen over and over again how busy people want to be. And ask them not to be busy, their lives begin to ravel and fall apart. And so does, <coughs> does our Sunday morning equal your boardroom meeting? Does your Sunday experience equal the Saturday night that you had? Are you putting anything before the Lord that is an idol in our society? The second thing that Paul talks about, that we should not commit sexual immorality. The people of Israel were, were perverse in how they engaged sexually in, 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 the, in the desert. And the church of Corinth was in that very similar space. And we can't divorce ourselves from that because we live in a culture that is deeply conflicted by sexuality. Whether it's from our non-binary understanding of sexuality to gender-based violence, it is complex. In fact, it is so complex that we can't have meaningful conversations any longer around this, right? And so what I know is that um, marriages, ministries, and families are being destroyed because of our misunderstanding of what it means to be sexually pure in the Lord. And so whether it's affairs, pornography, or a healthy view of sexual identity, 
it is unraveling us as a society. And if I think about young people, particularly young girls in society, the pressure on them around their sexual identity and what it means to be a young woman in society today, I think there's an unprecedented amount of pressure on them. When I speak in corporate spaces, I'm often told that you, you share too many heteronormative stories. And that's such a challenge for me to think about what that even means, right? There's one man that Pastor Roger's journeying with that says he, he identifies as a heterosexual cyst male and he feels rejected by a particular church because of his sexual identity. And so there's a, there's, there's a warped understanding of what sexuality and sex means. And so we're going to do a series later in the year that's going to address this. We should not test Christ, Paul says, right? And so in Numbers 21.4, Israel, it says that Israel in the wilderness, um, they, 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 were, they were impatient. In the journey, they spoke against God. They spoke against Moses. They, brought, they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? And we have no water. We have no food. We, we loathe this miserable place. They, they loathe this miserable place with the glory of cloud, the river of substance. They loathe the working of God in their lives. Right? Are me and you like that? We come to church on Sunday and we leave here and we say we loathe our lives. We loathe what God is. We don't trust that God has got something planned for us. Tim Keller put it like this. Worry is not believing that God got it right. Oh, that, will get, that God will get it right. Bitterness is bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. And so we're testing God all the time around the promises that He's put in our lives, not believing Him that He can do this. And finally, He said to them, don't be grumblers, right? And and, and in Psalms 95, God says, for 40 years I loathed this generation. They constantly put Him to the test. They hated, they grumbled about everything. This reminds me of a story, man wakes up in the morning, he goes, he goes, oh, my room stinks. And he walks out of his room and he, he walks into the passage. And he walks in the passage and he goes, oh, the passage stinks. And he walks into the kitchen and he goes, oh, the kitchen stinks. And he goes to the back door, opens it, and he goes, oh, the world stinks. Like everything stinks, right? Until he goes to the bathroom and looks in the mirror and realizes he's got a big piece of cheese stuck in his beard. It was him that was stinky, Right? And so the question is, are you a grum- grumbler? Does your world stink? Like every room you go to, these people are against me. My wife is against me. My co- Maybe it's you. Right? Maybe it's you. So don't be a grumbler. So when we put things ahead of God, when we constantly disobey God concerning sexual immorality, when we don't trust God for what He's given us, and when we continually grumble, we will never enter His peace or His rest. And so to enter that rest that God has for us, we need to deal with the danger of sin in our lives. I want to re-emphasize this. You might be getting away with it now, but the chickens will come home to roost. And you'll have to deal with it. So rather deal with it now before it gets too hot to deal with. Finally, if this greatest story ever told is going to stick with us, we need to remember that every temptation is an invitation. And this is not me. This is Craig Rochelle's quote, just in case somebody um, reprimands me later to say that you, he didn't say that, whatever. Anyway, so every temptation is an invitation 
to invite people to be part of the greatest story ever told, right? And St. Corinthians 1, 10, 13, every tempt, no temptation has overcome you except that is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Uh, to the moms in the rooms, um, <coughs> going shopping with a toddler is a strategic mission impossible, right? Because when you know, you've got to strategically move your way through the shopping aisles, knowing which aisles to avoid and how far away from the sweets you need to pre prepare your trolley, right? And so when we think <coughs> about the Scripture, if you got your life in God's hands, your life is in His hands. He strategically takes you through life. He's not going to push you down an aisle that you don't need to go to. He's not going to put you too close to the sweet aisles where you can grab. But now and then, we throw a tantrum. We jump out of the trolley and we go down those aisles we shouldn't be going down, right? And so to be aware of those things. Another image is that temptation could be this massive mountain before you. And the way out of that mountain is a mountain pass. That God will provide a path for you to get through that. So I've just recently started riding bicycles and I realized the moment that there's a slight gradient is hard work. And so overcoming these temptations is hard work sometimes. But follow the path. Stick to the path. God will provide a way out for you around that. And we often misquote the scripture because we often say, <clears throat> God won't give you more than you can handle. And when we read it like that, what happens is we start to take things on upon ourselves. That it's me that is going to deal with this. So God has given it to and it takes it upon myself. And it's got nothing to do with you. Everything is about God. And so every temptation is an invitation, one, to depend on Christ. Right? So when you're going through that temptation, are you depending on Christ at that time? A little girl says that when temptation knocks at her door, you know who she sends to answer it? Jesus. Um, how many of you, when there's temptation knocking at the door, you answer and say, oh, unforgiveness, my old friend, come in. Let's have a conversation, right? Um, instead, next time there's sexual immorality knocking at your door, send Jesus, because you know what will happen with sexual immorality. Oh, sorry, wrong number, and we'll move on, right? And so please depend on Christ when you're tempted. When you're tempted. Don't try and do it on your own. Look for the path. He's provided it for you. Every temptation is an invitation to speak about God's goodness in our lives, right? And so when I go through this thing to say, God has been good to me at this time. And so remember to share God's goodness. And finally, every temptation is to find strength in the Lord. Yeah. And so this idea that it is the Lord's strength that will carry me through this temptation. I don't know if any of you watched that mini-series called This Is Us. Um, it's just recently apparently come to an end, and the last episode is the tearjerker of all times. I haven't got through it. Um, I, me and Tamsin, hey? No, I don't know what the end is. So I can't tell you what the end is, si. but I can tell you what's in the middle. And so we're going to watch a video clip in a second. But um, in this video clip, uh, if you haven't watched This Is Us, it's about a, a, it's a really interesting family. Husband and wife adopt a, a child, and the adopted child, the clip we're about to watch, um, is going for their first karate lesson, and the child has been inducted or initiated uh, into this. And so enjoy the video clip, and we'll pick it up from there. Thanks, guys. What are we here to build, boys? Body, spirit, community. The three pillars. Now, before we begin, we have a new member to initiate today. 
Randall, come over here. Fathers. Randall, how old are you, son? Nine. Nine years old. Fine age. Do you think you have a good life? Yeah, I think so. Good. Good. I hope you always have a good life. But as you get older, you might start to find that things get harder. The world isn't always a kind place, especially for men like us. Take a look at the people on this mat. We are your community. When things get hard, we are going to be the ones who hold each other up. As Randall's father, you are his foundation. Come lie down, as if you're going to do a push-up. Randall, climb on your father's back. Jack, your back was built to carry your son through life. Are you willing to hold him up no matter what comes his way? Yes. Show Good. Now keep going. Are you willing to raise this young boy into a strong man? Yes. Are you willing to push him to be the best man in the world he can be? Yes. Thank you. Isn't that such a powerful, powerful imagery, right? And as Mzamo started the service today, he spoke about God wanting to carry us. I don't think that was a mistake, Mzamo. That God, God's back, Jesus' back was designed to carry you. God is our foundation. And that his back is strong enough to carry us through the difficulties of life. And just as that clip said, look around. Look around the room. This is your community. We will help you get through the difficulties of life. Remember that um, God doesn't save groups of people. He saves individuals. And so as much as God has interested us as a people today, He's interested in you. He's interested in your well-being. And He's interested on how you will take the greatest story ever to the next generation. Are you living your life like Randall on his father's back? Or are you struggling by yourself? Let's take a moment and just take time to reflect. and Let's pray together this morning as we bring our time to an end. As you're sitting here, I want you to reflect on the three things we spoke about. The one is, have you made this relationship with God this experience in this church and walk with Christ personally? Or are you living off the tailcoats of others' experiences? It's a deep call to make a personal call to salvation. The second thing is, are you dealing with the sin in your life? Remember, sin is dangerous business. And my prayer this morning is that God will speak to you about those, those things so that you can enter into His rest and that you don't have to struggle.
finally, every temptation is an invitation. And so there's an invitation for you this morning to sit with the Lord. Let's just sit with that for a little while.